it's our Halloween special, Spooky. Uh, but I guess it's your turn to intro. Oh, it right? is. It is. So That's Okay, weird. yeah. Sorry, you go. <laughs> but you're doing so well with the Spooky. Ooh. Yeah. Welcome to Reread, the podcast where we reread books that we read uh, in our childhood, which is 18 and under. Emphasis on under, yes. Yeah, this one is definitely under and technically breaks sort of our rules because <laughs> I have not read this particular book before. Although I've read others in the series, but this is the special Casey birthday episode. So let me say happy birthday, Casey. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You're an old man now. Congratulations. I've been an old man since I was born. But thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, and it's also, I suppose, serving as our Halloween special, which, of course, we can only read Goosebumps. <laughs> the Ghost Next Door. Woo! <laughs> which is number... Um... Isn't it like 10 or 12 in the original Yeah, series? it's like one of the first ones. It's number 10. Well... Yeah, technically, I haven't read this before. I think I have read number 12. Uh-huh. But um, in terms of experience with Goosebumps before, I read at least one when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure it was two or three. And I hated them with a burning <laughs> passion. <laughs> I want to say I was like second, third grade, maybe fourth if we're pushing it. And, you know, it was like you're sent to the library to find something or there's like books in your classroom you just pick one up and like I was always running out of books because I just read a lot so that's I I didn't like go out and buy this it was just like it was on hand <laughs> I read it I was like I'm what glad you this? clarified that you didn't spend money on this as a child I also didn't spend money on it as an adult <laughs> <laughs> I spent money on this I'll have everyone know I spent three whole dollars to get the Kindle edition of this book. You make a lot of money. Yeah, I do all right for myself. And I don't regret it. Well, the Nook edition was like four ninety nine or something, and that was at least two more dollars than I was willing to spend. If not, you know, four ninety nine more dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably one of the, the first series that really made me think that I did not like horror as a genre. Ah. So in terms of significance in my life, it's probably one of the earliest reasons why I would state I, I didn't like horror as a genre. Is that still true, that you don't like horror as a genre? I have realized that there are specific things in the horror genre that I immensely dislike and cannot stand. <laughs> and just Like, I'm never going to go see a slasher movie. But there's also types of horror that I actually really enjoy, which I'm sure we'll get more into as this goes on. But what were your experiences like with uh, specifically this book, but also with the Goosebumps franchise? Well, as as a child, I was a voracious reader of Goosebumps. I suppose the context of this is that I am one of four boys in my family. And so we just had a lot of these kind of books sitting around the household. So like Goosebumps, Animorphs was another one, all the Hardy Boys books. <laughs> and just to illustrate what kind of person I was as a child, 
I would go to bed every night at 9 p.m. so I could wake up at 6 a.m. to read the newspaper. I seriously almost passed out. You're such a dork. What? Yes, that's, I know. So <laughs> You've I, never told me this before. Well, I, you never asked. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, so I would just read everything. There's a time that I read a lot of Stephen King, the uh, Tom Clancy novels, which are not good, but whatever. That's another story. So, yes, I read every single Goosebumps book we had, which I probably estimate that I read like 30, 40 of them. This one in particular stuck with me because of the ending. I guess I I have to ask you now, how long did it take you to guess the twist of this book? (laughs) Uh, I want to say I was in the second chapter. Okay. I mean, because I think in the first one, she doesn't meet him at all. I think it's like as soon as she met him, I was like, hmm. Meaning Danny, but we'll get into that in a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just to clarify, these chapters are maybe like at most three, four pages long. The first chapter is not even that. It might just be half a page. But yes, like rereading this book. I was like, how did I not (laughs) realize the twist (laughs) within the first two paragraphs, you know? But this book stuck with me because the twist ending, there's something that was very sad to me as a child and was very, very appealing. It made me feel certain emotions that I'm like, oh, what's this? What's happening to my heart? And the thing is, I love horror as a genre. Not so much in book form. I'm much more visually attracted to horror. So I don't know, like uh, Mead Somars, one of my favorites from recent times, Hereditary, The Witch, all sorts of movies that Morgan can never watch without having a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. I saw gifts from Midsummer, and <laughs> I had to like... Go, like, take Tums after that, so <laughs> I could never. Yes, Midsummer is is a delightful film. I love it so much. But I love horror. I think that horror, I just think that the horror genre is so innovative. I'm not as familiar with the literary genre of horror as much, so I can't really speak to that. But I can say that Goosebumps woke something up in me that changed me forever. And certainly has informed the kind of books and movies and shows that I am drawn to in general. The kind of things that really wrench your heart. Because certainly Mm -hmm. as um, however old I was when I read this book, it was wrenching to me the idea of the ending. So Goosebumps has a very special place in my heart for that reason. Let's just be clear. This book... Is not good. (laughs) (laughs) By no stretch of the imagination. I think I saw your like Goodreads review and you gave it (laughs) one star out of five and you you added a disclaimer that you were forced to read this book. (laughs) Well, people from grad school follow my Goodreads and I was like, guys, I'm not doing this for fun. Uh, I don't think it's nice you laughing. Getting back on track. So um, I think we can both agree that from a, a technical level, this book is not good. It is not good. But 
did it hold up to your your nostalgia? Like, did it live up to that expectation? I mean, it made me laugh a lot. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Certainly by no stretch of the imagination is this book scary. And we'll get into some of the the scares of this book. Quote unquote. You can't see it, but I'm doing some big heavy air quotes. I think it's it's worth noting these books are published by Scholastic. They are meant for very young readers. R.L. Stein was I'm not sure if he still is, but he was an editor at Scholastic, and I think that's how this all happened. It's not meant to traumatize children. It's just supposed to be a kind of fun, you know, maybe some scares, but generally light read for kids that's easy to get through. So in that way, I guess it lived up to expectations. But I this made me laugh so much. Every single chapter <laughs> ends with a cliffhanger, no matter how yep. stupid the reveal in the next chapter is. It, it doesn't well, yeah, matter. And most of the time... <laughs> Most of the time, the reveal is like, and something caught her ankle. And then it's like, oh, she just accidentally like tripped on a rope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like, oh, and she saw a monster in the corner of her room. Oh, it was just a coat on a chair. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I get that like, I think a lot of children's books try and have those cliffhangers to like incentivize kids to keep reading. I mean, I think that at a certain point, at least for me, I mean, I wasn't. Obviously, I'm coming from a very different standpoint, but at a certain point, you get used to the trick, yeah. right? And so you're just like, it's not important. It'll be nothing. I was having this discussion with a friend about how trying to put myself into the mindset or into the shoes of my eight-year-old self, which is just impossible. I can't replicate my mindset at that age. I'm just too far removed from that. So... You know, I'm curious that as like kids who have never really been introduced to this kind of writing or this kind of genre or whatever, if this is your first experience with horror and you haven't caught on to the tricks that are being used here, if you would even necessarily notice them, we notice them, but we have collectively 50 plus years of reading between us. I guess um, I guess I give it the benefit of the doubt because of that reason that it's this is aimed at young kids at young readers who like even the writing there's not a lot of compound sentences in this book there's a lot of one sentence one detail that comes off as very stilted but if this is meant to be for reading levels of like third grade or whatever that makes sense right i mean i guess so <sighs> Using solely what I can remember of being a child. It's been 84 years. Which, like, to be fair, in third grade, I was reading Lord of the Rings. So, like, I was not, you were not the average child in terms of reading. I was not the average child in terms of reading. I think we can both establish we would have had different experiences than a lot of kids. But from a my personal preference standpoint, I can tell you that I did not like the cliffhangers then because I did not like cliffhangers mm. at the ends of chapters, period. So I can I can tell you that in terms of just that detail, Child Morgan was not there for it <laughs> and thought they were pretty obnoxious. Um, in terms of the other things, I mean, other than my experience with other Goosebump books, hard to know. But before we continue down this road, I really feel like at this point we should probably summarize what this story is. Well, I I guess the question is, who should summarize? I mean, 
this is my book, but you're you've been our designated summarizer for these episodes. I mean, if you want to take it on, you can. I can also do it. I mean, I have a great joke to begin, which is that the book starts in the year 2020 when everything is on fire. That's not true. But I mean, not the 2020 part, but everything is actually on fire. So uh, Hannah... Our main character, Hannah Fairchild, wakes up in her room and everything, just everything is on fire. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Then suddenly she wakes up. (laughs) Oh, it's just a dream. She wakes up. She goes downstairs. We are introduced to her family, her twin brothers, Bill and Herb, her mom. It doesn't really matter. The only pertinent detail you need to know is that apparently the previous night, Hannah and the twins made an impromptu campfire and were telling ghost stories. Uh, Later on, Hannah runs into this kid who apparently lives next door, this new kid on the block named Danny, who is a ginger, so you immediately distrust him. (laughs) But he's also cute. As Hannah tells us multiple times. He's a cute ginger. Oh, and there's also this thing about how it's summertime, school's out. Hannah is not at summer camp. All of her friends are at summer camp, but she is not because apparently she's too poor to go to summer camp. And this is why they had the campfire, because she and the twins are bored and they wanted, you know, a little bit of the camp experience. Yes, and they live in a very boring town that's very, very small. And there's this whole thing about how one of her friends was supposed to send her letters every day, and she has not received one f***ing letter from this friend, and that bitch better be dead, because otherwise... She's a pretty ruthless kid. Anyway, she goes into town one day, apparently the place to hang out in town, is in the alleyway behind the post office. That's where all the cool kids hang out. So she rides up there on her bike, and she sees Danny hanging out with these other two boys, Alan and Fred, who are being accosted by the postmaster, who calls them punks and says, get out of here. And they are like, blah, 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 you suck. And he's like, I hate you kids, blah, blah, blah. And, uh... Stuff happens. Um, I think on the way back, she runs into, back to her house, that is, from this experience. She runs into this, like, dark shadow Oh, you're right. Yes. That keeps calling her her name, you know, like, Hannah, Hannah. Very scary. And I actually kind of like the description of this. We can get more into it. But, like, it feels very dreamlike. She's trying to pedal away as fast as possible. But it seems like no matter how hard she pedals... She can't go faster and she's slowing down like when you're you're trying to run, but you feel like everything's slow as molasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's about to get eaten by the shadow when suddenly she's woken up by Danny, who says she was riding like a crazy person and crashed on her bike. He ran over to see what's up, help her out. And there's this whole confusion between the two because like the house next door where Danny lives had been empty and Hannah never saw anyone move in, but Danny claims that he's lived there for years. Right. 
And they're in the same grade at the same school, but they've never seen or met each other before. They have no friends or people in common. Yeah, and it and it's very confusing, and Hannah's very suspicious, and, you know, since she doesn't have anything better to do, she's kind of, like, low-key stalking this kid. You know, it was, it was a different time when stalking was cool. Yeah, like, and... she goes and, like, peers in his kitchen window. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Uh, anyway, so one day she's like, I'm going to ride into town to get some freaking ice cream. Ice cream! Did somebody say ice cream? And as she's going into the ice cream shop, Danny, Fred, and Alan run out. And the ice cream owner yells at them. Turns, turns out the kids have stolen their ice cream. And, yeah. and the, the ice cream owner is, is just up in arms about that. <laughs> I mean, it's a move. <laughs> it is. It is. But it's just like, you know, and they run away and like Hannah follows them and they're all kind of freaking out that the police are going to come and stop them and take them to jail. <laughs> you know, it's just ice cream. Anyway, it's whatever. It moves the story along. So as we learn now, Alan and Fred are hooligans and they encourage Danny to do all sorts of hooligan antics including after this going to the postmaster's house and stealing his mailbox his hand carved mailbox that looks like a swan oh god this story is so hard to take serious <laughs> and meantime you know like the shadow creature is making more appearances and sometimes it's fake out sometimes it's real but every time yeah, nothing happens so anyway they're about to steal this this mailbox when suddenly the postmaster shows up and yanks at Danny's arm to get him away from the mailbox, which damages the mailbox, but also hurts Danny, hurts his shoulder or something. But they manage to run away. The kids manage to run away. Alan and Fred are like, how dare the postmaster do that? We're going to get revenge. I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And... Danny's like, I'm not comfortable with any of this. I just want to go home. He goes home. Hannah follows him and talks to him. And is like, you shouldn't be hanging out with those hooligans. They're hooligans. And he's like, yeah, whatever. They're cool. And that really goes nowhere. We should mention that prior to all this, it's been like, I don't know. But Hannah thinks Danny's a ghost. She legitimately thinks Danny's a ghost. Right. There's, there's signs like... He vanishes into thin air and... There's the whole thing with like the house and the school and all of those things. There's one night that Hannah goes over to knock on the door to go ask Danny if he wants to go to like the ice cream shop together. She sees Danny's mom sitting in the kitchen, her back towards the window, and she's knocking on the door. Nothing happens. What's up with that? Why is Danny's mom ignoring her? Could it be that she's a ghost too? All sorts of things like that. And, you know, for a while, Hannah's like, no, that can't be that. There's no way. I'm just being ridiculous. I was telling ghost stories and now my imagination's running away with me. Blah, 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 blah. And to her credit, she tries to bring it up to her parents a couple of times and they just straight, <laughs> straight up ignore her. Anyway, getting closer to the end of the book, Danny and Hannah are playing soccer together and just chatting about 
and Danny falls over and Hannah goes over to help him up. But as she reaches her hand out and he reaches his hand out, their hands pass through each other. What? What? Wow. One of them's a ghost? <laughs> OMG, they both freak out. And then for some reason that's not really clear to me why, Hannah at this point realizes the twist of the story. She's the ghost. Yeah. So the thing that happens right before this is that Danny like sticks his hand through her chest. Yes, yes. And that seems to trigger her realization. And like, I'm with you. Maybe I'm stupid. But like, if if Danny was the ghost, he would also be able to stick a hand through her chest because he would be non-corporeal. So like, I'm not sure why. I agree with you. I'm not sure why exactly this is what sparks the realization. Yeah. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. The point is that Hannah realizes she is the ghost. She's been dead, she determines, for five years. And at this point, the book confirms it by having her witness a real estate agent showing her house to somebody who then explains the story that five years ago, there was a massive fire, burned the whole house down, killed the entire family inside, including Hannah and the twin brothers and her parents. And the fire was started because they had that campfire <laughs> and they left the like embers going. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so this is when the story actually got interesting of her grappling with that fact. So she goes in the house and like calls for her parents who up to this point have been present. She's been interacting with her family throughout this whole time. But now they they disappeared. That doesn't get explained at all, why they were there before, but not now. Whatever. It does create this, for me, nice moment where she's sitting in the house, sad and lonely and just grappling with the fact that she's dead and what that means. In the meantime, the interactions with this shadow figure have escalated to the point that this creature of the night tells Hannah not to go near Danny We'll figure out in a few seconds why. <laughs> but anyway, you know, Hannah, dealing with everything, runs after Danny the next day and wants to talk to him. But Danny, very reasonably, is freaked out and runs away himself. And she's like, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just follow him. There's nothing bad about that. So follows, follows, follows. Turns out there's this plot between all the three boys to go back to the postmaster's off, uh, uh, postmaster's house to try to steal the mailbox again as revenge, which they do. They they manage to pull it out and they just push it down. They don't actually do anything with it. Then the boys go to the back of the house and sneak into the house. And the whole time the postmaster's not there. Nobody's quite sure where he is. And Hannah's trying to, like, desperately tell Danny, like, don't, don't do this, don't go, bad things are going to happen. But her speech is, like, weirdly muffled, she can't speak up. That doesn't get explained at all, but whatever. So she follows them, gets her foot caught in a hose, uh, inexplicably. Yeah. We'll talk about this more, but her... Her, uh, her ghostliness comes and goes. Yes, it's it's not quite clear. So she gets caught by a hose, but whatever. She's standing outside the window. She's trying to call out for Danny, and she notices that they seem to turn on a light inside. And she's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you turning on a light? But then she realizes, 
no, no, no. The house is actually freaking on fire. Fire! She's like about to jump inside, but the, the shadow figure shows up again and reveals his true self, which is he... Oh, God. He's Dark Danny! <laughs> He's apparently Danny's ghost. And the Danny's ghost explains that when Danny dies, he will be born. And they'll, like, switch spots. And I have so many questions <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because something... Uh, Alan and Fred jump out, which makes the Danny's ghost disappear. And Alan and Fred explain, Danny is still stuck in sight. And they also, at this point, seem to be able to see Hannah. Not quite sure about that. So she jumps inside, finds Danny, helps him out. And as she gets outside, she sees Danny's ghosts, like, disappear into the ether or whatever. Anyway, end of the story, we see Danny's being cared for by his mom, who takes him home and... Danny starts talking crazy talk about how the girl next door, Hannah Fairchild, saved him. And for whatever reason, uh, the real estate agent is there to explain, <laughs> no, 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 you silly boy. That's not possible. She died five years ago. You're delirious. Meanwhile, Hannah's watching all of this as a ghost that's kind of retreating from reality. And she sort of surmises that for whatever reason, she was sent back to like save Danny. The voice of her mother is calling her home and says, come back to us. And the story ends with uh, Hannah saying, remember me, Danny. And her hoping that Danny heard her. And that's that's the story, more, more or less. Yeah. My headcanon for why the real estate agent is there is that the real estate agent is Danny's other mom. There's nothing that says that can't be the case, I don't think. Oh, I totally forgot. There, so an earlier point in the story, Hannah confronts Danny about Danny's mom ignoring her, at which point the story tells us that Danny's mom is deaf. <laughs> This feels like so a really inappropriate could... thing for you to laugh at. It's just so dumb. It's just well, such a dumb explanation for... You know what? I actually thought that was one of the better things. Oh, interesting. I actually thought, you know, that was not what I expected. And, you know, like, it allows Danny to talk a little bit about, like, she, apparently his mom knows how to, like, lip read mm -hmm. decently well so she gets by and she only became deaf, like, a certain period of time like a before. couple years before yeah right so it's a relatively recent thing and i was like this is really interesting like representation that just got brought in here and we then get to see danny's mom and and how she functions at the end and i was like i kind of like this i just kind of like that uh i don't know i think it's good in kids book to be like oh yeah there are people that are not like quote unquote standard hard quotes on that but like you know people that are different from you that have different things going on and like I don't know. I thought I thought it was good representation. I didn't expect it. I was a little bit surprised. I was like, "Oh, neat!" And like, I thought that conversation between them was handled well. I didn't. I didn't mind the death thing. I, I liked it. <laughs> I'm happy for Danny's deaf lesbian mom. <laughs> her her actual inclusion in the story is fine, and I think is great for all the reasons you stated. I just remember thinking when Hannah is banging on the door 
like what is the most obvious explanation that would allow the question of the supernaturality of everything happening here to be pushed off and it's like oh danny's mom is deaf that's just so obvious and then that very thing is revealed later so i just laughed oh see like that wasn't Let me my clarify instant. not because danny's mom is deaf that's not why i'm laughing it's just that I thought it would just be like, oh, this is just too obvious. Okay, one, you've read the book before, so like you did have like the sure vague memory in the back of your mind. But no, that that wasn't my my instant guess. Actually, I thought it was gonna be like, so he's he's running around with these kids who are clearly up to no good, and like one of his things is he says he's a daredevil; he'll do anything. So like he goes and like climbs up on the roof to like get a ball and like pretends to fall off to freak out Hannah which is part of the reason she thinks he's a ghost is because she thinks he actually fell I don't know it's just some things that could read potentially it's some it could just be like a typical you know they're 12 which we can talk about and whether or not they act at all like 12 year olds but you know a typical 12 year old boy kind of rebelling a little bit you know etc etc or it could be some a kid with maybe some uh rebellion and behavioral issues because of like home life things and my thing was like i was like oh i wonder if his mom is like a jerk yeah in essence or like agoraphobic or something she doesn't like like Mm. going outside or something we haven't seen her outside of the house we've only seen danny outside of the house so i was like maybe there's she has some sort of like mental illness that's like impacting danny because like you know mental illness of family members does impact other people so that was my instant thing i instantly went to the like psychological explanation and so i was actually uh probably the like one thing that was like i I guess a, a good surprise in the book was the the deaf thing the only other thing that was surprised was the Danny's ghost thing, but that was just wild. <laughs> that wasn't good. That was just like, that was an grab of a plot twist. Your words cut deep, deeper than any blade. The good things I could say about this book would definitely be a reach. Nothing's really spectacular in this book, except I guess the ending with the gut wrenching reveal that she is a ghost, in fact. One thing that I I really like about the horror genre is the way that it takes these sort of whatever themes it's working with and figures out unique ways to literalize those themes. So you kind of get a sense in this story. Let me be clear. I am grasping at straws here right now. You get a sense in this story of like how lonely Hannah is, which I think in an actually well-written story, would be an interesting opportunity to explore these themes of loneliness and isolation through the medium of a ghost story. Because that's a point that's emphasized constantly with Hannah, that she is alone, her friends are not writing her letters, she doesn't know anybody, and also, like, it wouldn't have been cool because having this interaction with Danny and having that moment where they ask each other, oh, do you know this, this, and this person at school? And him saying no. I mean, that's further isolating. They don't even have the common ground of knowing mutual friends. I'm flailing here because it's like, (laughs) it's such a cool idea. I can see in my brain happening right now how that would take place of just constantly telling Hannah, you are alone, you are alone, nobody loves you. You know, something... Maybe not that dramatic, but just something 
illustrating that feeling in a really unique way. I don't think R.L. Stein quite saw that. Yeah, I don't think that he's, from my experience, of Goosebumps. It doesn't feel like he's looking at horror from that lens, which I agree is the, is the most interesting version of horror. That sort of like more psychological take on horror is much more like what I have come to enjoy about horror, the very little I do consume. It doesn't seem like that's his thing, at least in my experience with with Goosebumps. It's a lot of very common horror tropes and like, yeah, normally some kind of twist, not necessarily an innovative one. But it's it's not so much here for the like psychological storytelling. It's here for like kind of the cheap thrills in a kidified format, which like I think we briefly discussed when we were talking about the one book that I know I've read, which I'm pretty sure is number 12, which is one of those like be careful what you wish for stories um, in which the main character makes a wish that gets her turned into a bird in the end. And like what I really disliked about that story was that there was like really it wasn't like it was a some kind of like moral story or like this girl had done something to deserve this. I mean, like, I don't fully remember what she does with these wishes, but like, I do remember like she was an outcast. I think she was bullied. You know, she gets these three wishes and I, I'm sure she does something awful to her bully or something. And so I guess karmic retribution, but like, it's it's not, it doesn't really, yeah, get into the like psychology of anything. It's just this like typical horror scenario, some sort of take on it, some weird twist on it. But it's not, it's not about the character's psychology. And, like, I think here, I mean, other than, like, the twist was very obvious for me as, like, an adult. <laughs> but, like, yeah, there was, it was just all very, even though I did like this one better, actually, than the one that I strongly remember reading. Because I thought uh-huh. ending, you're right, at least has some sort of sense of, like, emotion, feeling. <laughs> um, it's not this, like, horrible thing that just happens to someone. I mean, it is, because, like. The fire happened to her and that's tragic, etc., etc. Of course, my thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Of course, yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. It didn't feel like just a miserable ending to the entire story. But, like, it was all just very, very surface level. What I think I really wish, if I was making, uh, keeping the general structure of this the same, like, I wish Hannah and Danny got more attached to each other. They talked to each other, like, four, maybe five times, all very short conversations. And, like, I just wanted that to be a real bond. And for that to be... Obviously, it's fulfilling for Hannah to save anyone. Especially because the fire was her fault. Which I think the book also should have, like, let her feel that. The fire that killed her entire family was her fault. That's kind of harsh. It's a harsh world. To be fair, her parents should not have let her do this and should have checked the fire afterwards. But. Yeah, yeah. Fire is her fault. So, like, her saving Danny from the fire in the way that, like, she couldn't save the rest of her family. That could have been, like, emotionally fulfilling in a way. It could have been even more fulfilling if, like, say, she saw her brothers in Danny. Or, like, she was more deeply bonded to Danny. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, she was brought back to save him. Why? We don't know. Also, like, he's got a really powerful evil ghost. Why? We don't know. (laughs) But. Also, he's hot. Why? We don't know. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, the characters could have been aged up a little. This could have been like a ghost romance with a tragic end. Mmm. Indeed. (laughs) It could have been like that that classic story where um, the girl who had a scarf wrapped around her neck 
and this boy who is in love with her and blah, blah, blah. But then one night she removes the scarf and then her head falls off. And it's like, oh, my God, she's been dead this whole time. Blah. I don't know. Anyway, you could have had something there. Play up the romance, play up the connection in some fashion. And yeah, I think that there there's so many, so many elements of this story that just sort of taper off. Like, yeah, what what is up with Danny's ghost? Why doesn't Hannah have her own ghost? Why isn't Hannah's ghost here? Is it because he's ginger? I don't know. Yeah, like, is Danny, like, his bio dad, like, Satan or something? Like, why does he have special ghost powers? Yeah, what is what is going on here? Why does Hannah's family show up in the beginning of this book? I, I, we don't know. Yeah, like, wouldn't it have been easier if, like, someone just told her, like, Hannah, you have a quest to save Danny? You're dead. Yeah, where the f*** is Aslan in all of this, you know? Yeah, where is Aslan? <laughs> and why, yeah, so why specifically Danny? Well, and, like, it, there does seem to be something about Danny, though, because, like, he's got this uber special ghost, and whatever powers that be sent Hannah back to save him. So it must be, like, really important for his ghost not to manifest in the world. Sure. Which, I mean, you're only delaying the inevitable, right? I know. Danny's ghost is going to reign supreme sooner or later. (laughs) It it doesn't matter. Yeah, really just needs, this needs to be a quest to make Danny immortal. (laughs) That's what I want from this book. Hannah's ghost has to keep coming back every time Danny's in a in some <laughs> death-defying situation and save. And it's just like, oh my god, what is this? Why? Why does this keep happening? Just <laughs> can we just kill Danny's ghost instead? <laughs> the powers that be that keep sending me here. Uh, it is. It is something else. There's just all the pieces kind of feel like they're there, but. They're just not. <laughs> they're not <laughs> at the same time. They are not there, and also just like Hannah's ghostliness, because sometimes she's able to touch things, and other times she is not. And the book kind of explains it away by just saying sometimes she's more ghostly. Yeah, I. <laughs> I think it would have been interesting if, like, she was more solid and real in the beginning and we see, like, a a more decline into full ghostliness, like, she was, like, losing power. Because I I did remember the specific moment that I guessed the twist, which is, I think, actually, it might be before she even talks to Danny. I'm not sure. But it's, like, that first time she leaves the house and she's heading to downtown to, I think, I don't know what she's doing. And, like... She says something to one of the women in the neighboring houses who's, like, out front. She's like, hi. And the woman just ignores her. And I was like, ah, she the ghost. (laughs) She was the ghost all along. So it would have been more interesting if, like, at first people, like, interacted with her. Which I guess would be weird because they would have known her and that she was dead five years ago. But, like, I I do wish that she could have been more fully incorporated into the world and then gradually become less so because I think that would have been interesting and also had real stakes like is she going to be corporeal enough to save Danny in the end you don't know like she's running out of power it could be like that's her last burst of juice indeed 
another th- element that could have been brought into this to really up the emotional stakes, at least, is that if she had run into her friends, but oh, older yes. versions of her friends, who yes. she would have been like, wait, I didn't know that so-and-so had an older sister because they look alike, but clearly it's five years difference. And she had these weird moments of interacting with her friends and not realizing perhaps at first and then slowly recognizing, oh, wait, no, that was my best friend who never f***ing wrote back to me. So I'm going to pull some tricks on her. He 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 he. I actually did think that. So like I knew at some point, obviously, the reveal had to happen. And I wish like maybe instead of the real estate agent telling whoever about the house like that it had been her friend or something since the friend set up like that the friend had somehow re-entered the story and that yeah the reveal was done through the friend or maybe let's let's just go wild with this so you know in the letters that hannah sends to this friend you know she says explicitly in those letters i hope you are dead mm-hmm. <laughs> it would have been great if this friend had actually died at camp too oh at the same time and was also back to try to get vengeance against Hannah because somehow Hannah has these magical powers that she can uh, affect the universe. Or something. What if the friend was the shadow? Ooh, yes. Yes. And the shadow is thinking, oh, no, Hannah's here to kill Danny because that's what she did to me. Her <laughs> weird mystical powers. So I'm going to stop her. But then they they have a heartfelt moment at the end. It'll be great. Yeah, I feel like the theme, like that that friend, we read at least two letters to that friend, which is like, that's valuable page space in a book this short. Just to clarify, this book is maybe 100 pages long. Maybe. And I I guess, so do you want to talk about your R.L. Stein panel? Oh, yes. Uh... Because I feel like we should say that he very much views this as, like, a job. Yes, so um, if you look up his bio on Scholastic.com, buried at the very bottom of it is this line, which is, Although his books are fun and exciting, writing them is serious stuff. He treats writing like a job. Oh, R.L. Stein. He is very explicit that... This is not like a passion project for him. This is just work, which fair. You got to make ends meet. But I did have the lovely opportunity to uh, watch a a virtual panel with him this morning. Him and a couple other children's scary horror novelists or whatever. And there's there's some interesting points that I actually find pretty fascinating about him as a writer. You know, at one point he he was saying that when he was a kid, he started writing at the age of nine. All I really wanted to be was a comic book illustrator. I wanted to draw. Oh, wow. And I used to do these little comic books. I had this superhero. His name was Super Stooge. <laughs> and he was really stupid. And he would fly headfirst into brick buildings and... He would, he was, you know, (laughs) clumps. And I would do these little comic books and I would bring them in and pass them around to my friends. This is like fourth grade. And they, all the time, they say, Bob, your drawings suck. Oh. (laughs) And I looked around and I realized they were right. Oh, no. I couldn't draw at all. And from the way he talks about it, it sounds like 
getting into horror writing was more of an accident than intentional. And he made this interesting point that he sees the end of chapters as a punchline Mm. that I think makes sense why every single chapter ends with a cliffhanger because he's writing horror through a comic lens. It doesn't quite work, but it does explain why he's viewing it that way. And he definitely uh, pokes a lot of fun at himself. That's good. That's healthy. At one point, he said, I'm not good at describing things at all. Genuinely, he seems like a great, funny, kind guy. And I think that for the purposes of Goosebumps, what Goosebumps is supposed to be, that works completely fine. They're not scary or certainly not scary enough to traumatize any children. And they're lighthearted enough that you can see the humor in it and you can sort of see where he's coming from. I don't know. I was pretty god traumatized. <laughs> I can only speak to my experience as a child. And I was pretty traumatized. Uh, you, well. And it's not like I was like a wimp. Like, I know you're going to say that I was sensitive. <laughs> but like, to be fair to me, <laughs> I was reading like other things at the time that had like very disturbing elements in them. Like one of my favorite series in like the seventh eighth book one of the protagonists longtime love interest gets imprisoned by the villain in the form of a panther and he can't speak and he's got this collar on his neck that is choking him and cutting into him and it's all very painful it's it was really disturbing as a kid like um (laughs) that sort of thing is the particular sort of thing that like horror wise gets to me but like i still enjoyed that book and that series (laughs) no idea if it holds up now but like i certainly uh wasn't traumatized by it like not the same way that i remember my experience of reading goosebumps and feeling like really disturbed and i guess for our listeners i have like a physical reaction sometimes to like if i really dislike something i will get actively like nauseous which is very much what i associate with my previous experience with goosebumps which is why it was actually really hard to sit down to read this one. It was harder than I oh, thought it was going to be. I didn't because, know. No, it's fine. Because I was, I was, no, don't apologize. It all was <laughs> fine. But I was sitting down to read it. And I, I started like uh, feeling a little nauseous. And I was like, nope, this is, I, it's going to be fine. I'm an adult now. I'm grown up. <laughs> this is just a like trauma response. <laughs> So I was I was fine, and I read the book in, like, two seconds and was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but I will say, like, regardless of the level of humor or anything, at least not in this book, I think this book, I would agree with you in terms of this specific book. In terms of the broader franchise, at least, like, the other ones I vaguely remember, if the goal is to balance horror with humor so as to not traumatize small children, I'm not sure that's always something that's carried off. And I think he could actually stand to go more whore and not traumatize children if like if there was some sort of like emotional catharsis i think that this book has at least something of an emotional catharsis and i think that can help you deal with horror is if you get that kind of like breath of relief at the end it's just that i don't remember that from my other experiences with goosebumps i remember it leaving off on the bad thing and therefore being left feeling bad Yeah, a point he made that I I thought was an interesting perspective on all this, regardless of if it's actually effective, is that in explaining his punchline thesis, I guess. Humor and horror is so closely related. 
and people have the same exact visceral reaction to both, I think. When you sneak up behind somebody and you go, boo! <laughs> first they gasp, right? First they're horrified, they gasp, yeah. and then they laugh. Mm -hmm. It's like part of the same reaction. I yeah, think Goosebumps, I think <laughs> every chapter ending is like, I treat it like a punchline. I worked, I tried to get to this punchline. It's like, you know, it's funny too. I you know humor, horror always makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I never something. I never get scared at scary movies or reading this horror novel. Oh, it always makes me laugh. Perhaps where that falls flat, because I know exactly what you're talking about from mm. my memories of other Goosebump books, where the quote unquote punchlines sometimes are more clever. Well, clever than satisfying. There's a story that this kid finds a mask in a horror, like a costume shop, and she's trying to find a, a, a mask for Halloween or a costume for Halloween. And so she gets this mask, but finds out that it's cursed and it's stuck to her face. Antics happen. She figures out how to get it off. She gets it off. But at the end of the story, she discovers that her little brother has found the mask and put it on, suggesting that now it's stuck on him and... And it's very difficult to get it off. So there's no guarantee that the kid, this kid is going to be saved either. That's one of the things where I can see you responding to that negatively because it's a punchline where it's like, oh, you thought you, you made it out, but actually, oh, no, you haven't. It can be seen as cruel because it's like a cheap thrill where you're exploiting what is going to be a tragic thing to get a gasp out of somebody. And it, and it feels exploitative. Again, I don't think most <laughs> kids of the age that would be reading Goosebumps would be aware enough of that to respond to it or to understand why they're responding to it that way. Well, I think that's that last thing you said is more likely. I think they'll respond to it and not necessarily understand. It's not like I understood completely why it bothered me so much, right? But I think that like when... You have, yeah, the entire arc of a story to, like, deal with a thing that's horrible and you think your protagonist has triumphed and then you're like, actually, you know how the world was <laughs> The world is still <laughs> It is always <laughs> It will always be <laughs> Like, I think about that, um, that R.L. Stein thing he said about how, you know, after people are scared, they'll gasp, but then they'll laugh. And I think the interesting thing about that is I think a lot of that is a trained response if you sneak up on little kids, sometimes they'll do that. But sometimes, if you scare them or startle them badly enough, they'll start <laughs> crying afterwards because it doesn't feel and good. And they'll keep crying. Right. And so I think that to some degree, we learn, like, you know, if you trip or fall down or whatever, laugh it off, right? Like, that yeah. will make people think you're not stupid or sensitive or weak or whatever. Not saying there aren't people who just naturally laugh in response to fear. That's very much a thing as well, I think. I laugh in the face of danger. <laughs> There's definitely a segment of the population who, you know, that's not the response. So I think that with some of the Goosebumps books, they're just, quite frankly, I, I wouldn't be giving them to a kid. You know, that's a very good point. It reminds me of my own story of sneaking up behind somebody and essentially yelling boo. Uh, my friend and I were visiting another friend and this particular friend that we were visiting they never locked the door to their house they they kind of live isolated so they just never bothered so we were able to sneak in and she was just like sitting at the 
kitchen table looking away from us and did not hear us. And so we just literally snuck up right behind her and on the count of three, just yelled as loud as we could. (laughs) And (laughs) she screamed and nearly fell out of her chair. Uh, Luckily, I was behind her to like catch her. (laughs) And... She quickly realized it was us, but it's just that initial shock. And I remember very distinctly, this image will live with me to my dying days. She was sobbing and laughing at the same time (laughs) because her body was still going through the emotional panic of going from zero to, oh my God, I'm about to die. I need to run away. While like her brain is also realizing I'm safe. It's just my two friends being heads. And then, of course, her dad, a few seconds later, walked out shirtless with a machete. And uh, we were, oh. were like, oh, OK. So that was that was fun. But uh, yes, I think you make a good point that that kind of cheap thrill isn't an isolated incident. It can sort of persist in ways that we don't necessarily realize and that the laughing is not necessarily a release, but I I think he he really likes the idea of the comedic turn. And it was telling, he referenced that two of his favorite horror films are Cabin in the Woods and the Scream franchise, which are both, uh, if you're not familiar, are both films that play with the tropes of horror and have that kind of horror streak, but it's very tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I think those movies do a much better job of what R.L. Stein is talking about. But uh, that's definitely the kind of aesthetic that he's going for. Whether he achieves it or not is another question. I think at times he achieves it here. Like the ending, the ending of this book has stuck with me for a reason. And I still think it's powerful. I mean, it's obviously nostalgia's talking here. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But it feels clear to me that there is something powerful in that moment of her reckoning with what she is now suffering in realizing that she is a ghost. Her family is dead. Everyone she knows is gone, apparently. And she is completely alone and doesn't know why any of this is happening um, and has to try to piece it together. I think that's very powerful. And for me, it's like, it explains a lot of what I like about things in different media, but there are moments like that, but it is constantly undercut by the God <laughs> insistence to tell the God punchline at the end of every God chapter. Yes. And just, I think, as we mentioned earlier, the general surface level nature of the story, which like uh, he could have fixed maybe with, um, Slightly longer page count. Just done some more delving into some things. But then I guess, like, I think part of the whole idea is that you want a kid to be able to fly through one of these things, which you couldn't do if it was any longer, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure how fast kids read. Yes, because you read way too fast and I read way too slow. So you, we have no good sense how, how the average bear reads. Yeah, wait. No, actually, how long did it take you for this reread? Uh, it took me 
Oh, gosh. I mean, I didn't, like, keep track of it, but I'd say, like, two, three hours, maybe. Okay. Uh, why? No, it's just, I was curious. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, if I look back at our Facebook logs, I can figure out exactly how long it took me. But it was definitely under an hour. So, if I feel like if we meet in the middle, so, I don't know. I feel like a lot of kids are probably, I mean, they're kids, so they're probably your speed or slower, right? I, uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't have any kids. What do I know? God damn it, Casey. You're supposed to know these things. You're 30 years old. You don't know how fast kids read? That's true. I do have a nephew, but he's not even two years old, so he's not. He's reading not yet. reading yet? I know. What is this? He's so far behind. But yeah, I, I do think it's also, again, worth noting that R.L. Stein, he. I think he recognizes he is not creating literary masterpieces here. This is just his job. There, There's a moment in the panel that made me laugh so much where he's talking about this very popular character now named Slappy, which is an evil wooden doll. Tuesday, the new Goosebumps book comes out, which is called I Am Slappy's Friend. It's about a boy who actually likes Slappy the Evil Dummy. This is the 4,000th book about Slappy. I think at least, right? Do you, you have any idea how hard it is to come up with plots for a, a, a book about a wooden dummy that comes to life and no one knows it and then they do know it? I've done, I think I've done 14 of them. Is Do you have any, are there any like, of those were in your heart, you know, that was the worst of them all. Like that was, that I, one was not good. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm so tired of Slappy. I can't, luckily oh. no one's listening, but I, I, I killed him off. I wrote a book called The Ghost of Slappy. I killed him. And then I had to bring him back. Everyone yeah. went, I don't know. I don't really get it, but we keep writing. The Goosebumps now is called Goosebumps Slappy World. <laughs> So he's like taking over. <laughs> Poor Arl Stein. No, he doesn't need your sympathy. Like he recognizes that he is so lucky. And we'll come back to this because I think he, he offered at the end of the panel a piece of advice to young writers. And I actually like it a lot. But this is for the fans. And I think that if he had his way, he'd be writing probably comic books like the Captain Stooge thing he worked on as a kid. But. He ended up writing horror books, and for him, it's not a literary endeavor of, of capturing some profound theme in innovative ways. He's just writing stories that kids will gobble up and their parents will buy. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to be moved, but tricks on him because this kid over here was moved and never forgot about it. So you know what? Thank you, R.L. Stein, for making me the person I am today. Thank you, R.L. Stein, for traumatizing me so much that I didn't even really realize I enjoyed aspects of horror until a year or two ago. Oh, man. I will say I do think a difference between us is that I am much more thick-skinned when it comes to Especially to horror, like I, I'm much more able. I to mean, sort of... you just really love emotional pain. Yeah. So like, so I, maybe I'm not I'm sure. Just it's used thick to it. skinned, you just enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I can deal with a decent amount of emotional pain, but I need there, I need there to be catharsis. 
I need to like feel like it was worth it in the end. But I suffered for a reason. <laughs> you know? If a feather falls off a bird, you need an adequate explanation as to why, or otherwise it's out. You're you're done. No. Never again. No, I you know what? <laughs> I know you were just making fun of me, but now I feel the need to like further explain this. Where it's like, I don't need it to be like, you know. Yeah, a perfect explanation or a happy ending or anything like that. I just have to feel like the storyline was worth it. I'm trying to think of a good example of like just a really <laughs> depressing, painful book I read that I thought was worth it. But like, I mean, I don't like, know, I, sound I, I love, fury. yeah, I was like, I love Faulkner. And Faulkner is all about like putting characters through like so much pain. <laughs> And the books never end well because it's modernism. Yes. They don't end necessarily tragically, but they definitely leave off with the sense that, like, people are not necessarily going to be okay or people are going to have kind of shitty lives. But it feels, it, the storylines feel complete in a way. It doesn't feel like it's being a bummer just to, like, be a bummer. You know, it feels complete, I think is the word I will use. It feels complete. I read that story, I put it down, and I was like, yep. Yeah. Comptons are not going to be okay. Yes. But that's part of the point. <laughs> I do remember when I learned that you loved Faulkner. I was very surprised by that because you are, and I'm not saying this with any criticism. In fact, I think it's one of your best features. You are very sensitive. And to me, it was shocking to hear that you loved Faulkner because it's just like, Faulkner's <laughs> fucking depressing. <laughs> I remember you tell me you could not make it through Watchmen. Because you yeah. were just getting so depressed. And, and I guess your family was like, Morgan, you're getting so depressed. And so you <laughs> stopped reading it. I think I knew that before I knew about your love for Faulkner. So I'm like, she's, uh, you know, just very sensitive. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But yeah, that- I mean, like Watchmen, which to be fair, I didn't finish. So maybe I would have managed to get to that emotional catharsis. I don't know. I know how it ends. So I don't think so. <laughs> Watchmen is like, it's all just like descent. It starts out crap. Things get crappier, and then it continues to be crap. I would argue <laughs> against that interpretation, because I think Watchmen is saying a lot more about the idea of superheroes. Oh, absolutely. Watchmen is saying a lot. I firmly believe Watchmen is actually good. I'm just explaining like how it felt like to read it, and why I didn't like it. You know, maybe that's one for the reread pile over in the corner of uh, our rooms. Yes. And soon our bedrooms will just be books. But <laughs> yes, not to derail all of this. Goosebumps, at least this book, does not offer resolution. Uh, I, I like the catharsis of this book. I think it's actually okay. Oh. This particular Goosebumps book, I think, is an exception. Like, she has her being sad about the ghost. She saves him. She has to go back to Ghostland, but there's that nice, like, remember me. I was like, that's cool. I mean, like, I still didn't like this book at all in any way, shape, or form. But, like, that was fun. In better hands, it would have been an amazing moment of her. Throughout the book, she has felt forgotten by her friends, ignored by everyone around her. So her plea at the end of remember me. Yeah. That could have been so powerful. Yeah. I don't think it quite connects. It could have been elevated. Yes. But certainly it made an impact on me as a kid. But there are just too many other layers that go unexamined because there there is this whole subplot with Danny and the two boys. And these boys are basically bullies 
hooligan stealing ice cream. Yeah. There's a this big element of peer pressure that takes place throughout the book. And it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think you get like, this is bad. Don't do this. Yeah. But it's like, it's very surface level, I guess I would mm-hmm. say. And which maybe that's fine for kids in first, second, third grade. It never hurts to tell a first, second, third grader, bullying is bad. You know, it doesn't have to be profound to be effective. Through the lens of a 30-year-old adult <laughs> now, I, I want a little bit more. Well, and I think that we should trust that kids can take a little bit more. I mean, like, okay, so Chronicles of Narnia are not great examples, but they're the other ones we've covered on this podcast but like are probably aimed at the same reading age. And like, I will say at least in some of Chronicles of Narnia, things are handled with a little bit more depth and complexity. There are certainly um, much better children's series than either of the two we've mentioned that are aiming at the same audience are at that reading level, but like are going into things more. And I think we should trust that kids can handle that. Kids are a lot smarter than you think they are. Yeah, you were reading Lord of the Rings at whatever age. That that was a mistake, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, that's something that I, that occurred to me as well. Again, if R.L. Stein was actually interested, yeah, he could do more with these. And I think, yeah, you know, I'm sure that there would be some cases where things would just fly over kids' heads. But I'm sure there'd be a lot more where kids would actually pick up on that or sort of internalize that and maybe not realize at the time why it impacted them so much. But maybe not with this book, but with another book down the line, revisit that theme and be able to more fully comprehend it. I don't know. There's something to say for trusting kids to know what's up. I'm glad that we were able to do this for your birthday, Casey. Yes, thank you. And I suppose to end, as promised, I would like to close with uh, R.L. Stein's bit of advice to young writers because I actually think it's it's very fitting for what we were just talking about. Here it is. I never give young writers advice. advice. Never. never. <laughs> because I think they're probably like me. They started writing when they were real young. And they know they want to be writers. And they write all the time. And they don't need somebody to say, oh, you should read a lot. Oh, you should write every day. Keep a journal. They, they don't need that. If they're really going to be writers, they're doing that already. My uh, The only advice I have, and it sounds stupid kind of, but uh, is enjoy it. Because just realize how much fun it is. And uh, you do much better writing if you're enjoying it. And there's so many writers, I'm on so many panels, so many book festivals and authors who talk about how hard writing is. It's so hard. Writing is so hard. And I thought, it's not hard. That's a terrible attitude. It just gets in your way. You have to say, damn, I am so lucky. I'm here. I'm writing this. This is fun. You have Mm. to enjoy it. Snaps for R.L. Stein. I uh, I think he gets it. Maybe not so much in his books, but he gets it. He seems like a lovely man who's just doing his work and i'm sure he'd be sorry to know he traumatized me (laughs) or maybe not or maybe not wait we gotta come off with a cliffhanger ending here
Oh, um, yes. Uh, oh, God, the pressure. And you'll never believe the book that we'll cover next time. It's because it's not a book. <laughs> not a book at all. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. Well, thank you. I am sorry for triggering your childhood traumas. I did not realize that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I would have told you if I couldn't do it. Nevertheless, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Happy birthday. Thank you. I suppose. And a very merry unbirthday to our (laughs) listeners, unless it is their birthday, in which case you may have a birthday. At the very least, happy Halloween. Unless you're one of those people who don't celebrate Halloween because you think it's a pagan holiday and you're Christians and all that jazz. But if so, why did you listen to this? Uh, Yeah, why did did they get through all of Chronicles of Narnia? (laughs) All right, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. (laughs)